The following contains a transcript from a short radio broadcast that has been picked up by various listeners across the continental United States. Many have been perplexed by its sudden appearance and how it seems to preempt whatever song or radio program they are listening to at the time. It has even been known to appear on streaming programs such as podcasts or Spotify. Listeners have described hearing different episodes, and there have been many different situations and occurrences. I received a letter from an individual named Andre. The return address was smudged, and he revealed that he had heard the program decades back. This was a startling revelation, as I had always considered the Buck Hensley broadcast to be a recent phenomenon. This happened to me in 1996, he wrote. I heard you were looking for others that had heard the radio program. This is my story. My brother's rabbit foot keychain swayed back and forth, right? Just swaying back and forth in the evening light while the car just gently shook up under the, you know, the bouncing of his leg. The keychain was supposed to have been for good luck. <laughs> but I told him he needed to get rid of that thing because the only thing it ever brought to us was the worst luck you could ever have, man. It's not like turning ourselves in is going to change what's already happened. Now, he said that while he took a hit, he sucked on that square hard, man. Just like the tobacco and the smoke he in and just inhaled contained his salvation, man. That man, it's crazy the way he's smoking that square, man. Now me, you know, I sniffed it a little bit, blew my nose on a fast food napkin, tossed it out the window. Now Rick look over at me, but he ain't say nothing or he ain't give me no crap about it or whatever, man. Now he was older and he had seen me cry plenty of times since we was kids, man. You know, he even seen me cry when he used to beat me up every now and then and I run and tell mama, you know, back when she used to actually care, you know. And he had laughed at my tears and when when uh when when Jay when Jenny broke up with me, the first girl I ever had, man. You know, the first one to ever let me kinda explore a little bit. And he cried with me and my mom passed away from ah, man, uh it was a long, slow, ugly way my mama passed away. Uh, I don't even wanna talk about it. It's gonna be all right, Andre. He finally said. He only said my full name, you know, when things was real serious. You wanna walk away right now? You can. You don't have to be an accessory. No sense both of us going down. It's not like you were driving. Now, I ain't say nothing. You know, I just stared out the window across the parking lot where we waited, and there was just piles of snow that had been plowed into like miniature little mountains scattered through the empty lot like like um, like burial mounds or something. And the snow looked gray and dirty, man. You know how it go. And um and how long these piles <laughs> how long would they exist here, man? You know, like they might last until April before they fully melted away. And by that time we could be long gone. I had visions of us running together, you know, west, north, south. 
really didn't matter, man. Just, just take the money and run, man. We could be so far gone that we wouldn't even know ourselves. Just start over as new people, a new life, man. You know, another chance. Maybe we can go to the West Coast. You know, I've never seen the Pacific before. To be specific, I've never seen the Pacific. You know, I ain't never even been west of Buffalo, really. You know, I thought about how we got into this mess, man. I guess we've been marked for a while, man. All our lives, actually, man. None of us... You know, ask to be born into the situation that we born into. You know, what kind of maniac would choose <laughs> would choose this life from the get-go? But while we were born at an unfair advantage and with possible uh like like possible genetic pre what's the I need a big word here, um predispositions <laughs> for failure and messing up. It's like we just meant to mess up, man. It's like I, I take pleasure in messing up. And I believe that we were responsible for all our own, you know, poor decisions, man. And the response to the adversity we faced, we always went the wrong way. Now, in short, I believe that you make your own luck. And shoot, I really still believe that to this day. Now, my brother, he was different, man. He was real superstitious and all that. And he had always had been, man. And he believed that we all had been, you know, paying for something. Misdeeds and stuff we did wrong in past lives and stuff, man. Karma. He was never consistent in his theories with these things and why they were the way they were. But he believed you could correct it if you just did, you know, the right things, man. And if you said the right amount of the prayers and all that, and read your Bible, or kept a lucky penny in your shoe, or found a four-leaf clover. You know, he was always searching for something to, um, you know, make him feel complete, make him feel whole. Cursed. Cursed since the day we were born. But I'm not going to let it keep me down. I just got to keep doing the things that will even the scales out a bit. Our luck will change one day. You'll see. So when we had opportunities, he took them, man. You know, he viewed these things as the the universe throwing him a bone or some older kids skipping school and asking him if he wanted to come. Somebody offering to take, you know, um, take, take a hit of this drink, man, or, or smoke a little bit of that, or a purse or a cell phone left, you know, and want nobody watching it just for a quick little second, man. That's all he needed. A vehicle left running by the uh, corner store and all that. The driver in there ain't thinking about it. A job as a custodian at a pharmacy with an unlocked stash of the uh, uh, things, painkillers, man. You know, a tough guy in the neighborhood with a job he needed doing. These were all like gifts that were put forth by by the cosmos, by the stars or whatever, man, you know. It never occurred to him that these might be tests from the universe or that he frequently chose the wrong answer. Now, neither of us finished high school and Rick, he, you know, never even finished the eighth grade. Sometimes he could still be the smartest guy I ever knew, though. And he just, you know, put these smarts 
to dumb uses, man. Not coming up with these crazy, ridiculous schemes and cons and new ways to get high, man. They never really paid off and only got us up in more trouble, man. And I guess you could blame my raising a lack thereof on mama. You know, she got up on disability by the time I was sick. And uh, because Papa beat her up bad, man. Daddy beat her up so bad, she was on dang disability, man. And um, now you got the physical. She suffered the mental and emotional injuries all lumped into one. She lay up on the couch all day, drinking, smoking, watching TV, sleeping. Same thing, day in, day out, man. Now, Rick, five years older than me, you know, he became like, you know, my keeper, man. That was my, my brother became my keeper, man. I guess that's what you're supposed to do anyway, but he was forced into it at, a, I guess, an early age, earlier than he intended. Now, little small little stints in prison and court-ordered rehabs and community service piled up over the years. And Rick started to take the brunt of it. Now, maybe he had done an okay job as my, you know, father figure or whatever. I hadn't ended up, you know, with as long as a rap sheet as he had. And I did make it to my junior year, you know. So, sue for a gangster. That's better than nothing, sorry. You know what I'm saying? Now, my older brother and I got a job running drugs for this guy, man. Name was Red. Now, dope, coke, you know, brick a little weed here and there, man. You know, I don't know where the stuff came from. He claimed he was getting it from, uh, from dang, from the Migos, man. But, you know, folks just be running their mouth, man. You never know where they really getting that stuff from. You know, I, but I ain't asked too many questions. You know what it is. We ain't never asked, and if I did ask, he ain't gonna tell the truth anyway. He probably gonna get suspicious. And anyway, so my guess is that it came from somewhere in the, in the, uh, over there in the Atlantic on the, on, the, on the water, man. You know, over there by the shipyards. Now, we run all the time for him, always, you know, smaller amounts, enough to fill the spare tire compartments uh, in the trunk of my brother's car. You know, and then we ain't never do no big old load because, you know, we figure we you draw too much attention, uh, you know, too much jail time. I do a little bit of time, but I ain't trying to do no time time. You know what I'm saying? I ain't trying to do so much time that when I come out, the world beating changed on me. You know? So um, this was late one time, 96, though. And it was the biggest run we ever did, man. Red felt like he could trust us at this point. And we'd been working for him for a year and hadn't gotten no trouble so far. So it was the longest time either of us had ever worked at a place without being fired or quit. So the run was up to Buffalo from uh, lower Massachusetts. And the delivery we made, you know, something we always did, man. I took my brother, uh, he had a brown 80 um, Pontiac Bonneville, man. So you know he was hood, boy. <laughs> and uh, we used to call her Old Bonnie, man. And it was more like a boat than a car, man. Big, comfortable, spacious. You know, it had the seat in the middle up front so you could sit somebody up. You could sit three people up front or four people, you know, <laughs> back before they was hot on them seat belts. You know, so on the drive out, man, you know, we got a little, we got a little taste for ourselves, man. You know, you got to, folks talking about getting high on your own supply, you know, you, you just got to be smart, man. You know, just get a little bit, just to, 
Make sure it's good, you know, keep the edge off, just don't go too far. Now, um, but that coat, though, it make you real jittery, man. So, you know, we came behind that with a little bit of that weed, make us, you know, kind of mellow out a little bit. But then that jump made you paranoid. So then we come back behind that with the Xanax. And uh, shoot, after that, we was good, man. <laughs> it was like a little process, you know, trust the process. Now, the deal went off without a hitch, and we made about 75 Oh, we ain't made, but we had 75k up in uh in the duffel bag, man. Now, then things went south, and this is where we coming down from the adrenaline of it all, trying to figure out what to do. Now we could just head out, ditch the Bonneville, get a bus ticket, and disappear. You know, that was my um, suggestion I made. Rick just thought on it for a while. Not worth it. You know he knows people he'd find us. Now, Red was like a small-time crime lord, and he knew people that were even bigger than him. And he had all sorts of connections, man. We even think he, uh, you know, but we never thought that of crossing him or running off with the money. You know, there were stories of people that disappeared, bodies found in alleys, and everybody knew he was responsible for it. But how far was this man influenced for real, for real, man? Like, the man can't find us in California. <laughs> you know, this ain't the movies, man. He ain't connected. Like, he ain't no mafia or nothing, man. You know, he ain't that. Shoot, even the mafia have a little difficult time finding you when you go all the way across the country, especially if you go somewhere in one of the small towns or something, right? No, the best solution is for you to just go back to Lowell on your own. Take the money, give it back to Red. Tell him that I'll be in touch. I'll ditch the car. What if you get caught? You don't think he'll, you know, you don't think he'll worry this, you know, something up? What if he think that you talk, you gonna talk or whatever, like something bad to happen? Listen, I'm not leaving my brother behind. We in this thing together, man. He flicked his cigarette butt out the window and reached for the pack you know, for another one or whatever. Then he changed his mind. His face was sad, man. His eyes, everything, just... That man's face looked like it was drooping two inches, man. Allow me to take a quick break for the sponsors. Then we're going to get right back to it. Andre, I've been messing your life up ever since we were born. I ain't no good. You, you're better than me. You would have never gotten into trouble had it not been for me. So I'm going to tell you once and only once. Get out of the car. In. Oh, no. He stared down at the floorboard and gave me a little nod. Okay. That's all he said. And I didn't see the next part come at all. My head bounced against the passenger seat and I saw stars, man. He had slammed me in the head with the with the bottom of his palm, man. Hit me with a dang karate move, man. Kung fu move, man. And soon he was on me, man, grabbing my shirt and shaking me. 
So now we struggling, man. And I grip his wrist and I shove my hand in his face and he started, you know, like reaching for the door handle to get up out of there. So I wrestled an arm free and slammed my hand down on the lock. Now just then it was a bang from the top of the Bonneville, man. Followed by like this, a banging, but it was like on beat, man. Somebody from outside was knocking on the roof with their hand. What? You know, we both said, you know, untangling from each other, man. Now at the driver's side window, we could see a man and he had ducked down and he was looking in at us. Who is that? Let's see what he want. He was dressed in an overcoat and black, like knit hat. Nothing about him said he was popo or nothing, man, but or any kind of authority, but his face looked like cheerful, man, and he told us roll out the window. What is it? Now, the man didn't respond. He only made an exaggerated facial expression like he was trying to tell us something. And he made this gesture like towards his face and made the words, I'm deaf. And it touched his ear or something, you know how that goes. So he handed Rick something through the window and the Rick looked it over before handing it back to me. It was a cheap looking card with a smiley face on it. And it said, have a nice day. I'm a deaf mute person selling these cards for my living Pay any price you wish. God bless and have a nice day. And on the back of the car was a little alphabet with pictures of hands forming signs in American Sign Language. Give him a couple bucks. Get him out of here. I could use the boost in karma for helping out the disabled. I reached in my wallet and pulled out a little $5 bill and handed it over to him. You know, this is back when you actually had money on you and not just debit cards and stuff. And the man took it and smiled and made it, you know, thank you with his mouth. And brought his hand to his mouth and forward. He gave us a couple of the cards and stayed leaning into the car. And he had a strong, like, sour smell about him, man. Okay, buddy. Time to get a move on. Hey, uh, you know he can't hear you, stupid, right? Okay, buddy. Time to get a move on. Rick said this twice as loud, and he jerked his thumb to like, like, like tell the man to, you know, get up out of here, man. Like, you know, I do a little thumb, like, yeah, get out of here, man, get out. Now the deaf man only smiled and and uh, held up his hand and reached into his pocket and pulled out a scrap piece of paper. It said, "Please take me to Ithaca, New York," and there was a phone number on the bottom. Now, Rick looked down on it, and I could see the wheels in his head turning. Oh, shoot. Here we go. <laughs> I knew that look, man. He was thinking of something, man. Then real quick, he gonna nod. Yeah, get in, get in. And he said to the man that couldn't hear him, and the man gave another big old smile, you know, with a big excited gulp, and slid into the back seat. Now Rick turned back and smiled at him, and I could see it in his eyes what he was thinking. <laughs> uh, the universe had once again given him another gift. Let me know if you don't like this song, eh, buddy? Rick said to our backseat passenger and laughed. You know, uh, it's nighttime, man, and we, we headed towards uh, Ithaca on I-90. Now the deaf man wore like this permanently amused uh, uh, expression on his face, man. That guy just forever happy, man. Always on the verge of a smile. 
Now, besides his smell, he might, you know, as well not have even been back there, man. You think he faking it? I said, like he hands, you know, out the cars as an easy, like panhandling gig, you know, get people to feel sorry for him and stuff. I don't know. Hey, Deffy, are you faking? Rick asked, and the man continued to stare out the window, not acknowledging that anyone had spoken. The song faded, and a low drone began to hum from the speakers for, uh, you know, a few seconds. What is this? Rick said, and tried to change the station and turn off the radio and turn it back on. But the sound continued, uh, you know, no matter what we did with the volume knob, man. Like, the things you kept... The sound kept going. So the deaf man, like, did a little quick little shout in the back seat, man. And there was a loud click and a voice began to, like, talk to us. Evening, folks. Bucky Ensley here with yet another edition of The Rules of the Road. And you got yourself in a bit of a bind. Is your back up against the wall. Carla and me had a bit of a bind last weekend. Lucky for me, she was using my favorite leather. Normally, she prefers ropes or scarves or those goddamn neckties. But leather is my favorite. I like the smell and texture. I like how it was at one point the skin of some living, breathing animal that ain't living or breathing no more. Speaking of neckties, I've almost gotten rid of all mine. I can't stand the things so constrictive on the old neck and cutting off the circulation. Like I need a dang old phallic symbol hanging from there, a reminder that I'm part of the machine, a ready-made decorative noose. You know the proper way to wear a necktie? It ain't a half Windsor, that's for sure. The proper way to wear one is grumpled up in your hand and throwing it straight into the trash. Now, me and Rick looked at each other, and, like, we were, like, like, we couldn't change the channel, we couldn't turn off the radio, and in the back, the deaf man started knocking, like, rocking and flapping his arms and letting out these loud barks and words half, like, you know, half intelligent words, man, and he was smiling and laughing, and just, this man was happy, boy, like, yeah, man, act like a dang kid at a candy store, man. And the radio just kept going. But I digress. On to tonight's rule of the road. You're going to want to pay careful attention to this one. Tonight's rule is all about balance. Balance is important, don't you know? If you didn't think so, ask one of them daredevils at the circus up on the high wire. Ask a drunk doing a sobriety test how important balance is. Ask a man with a missing butt cheek how balanced he is when he sits. Ask those people that like yin-yangs what the deal with balance is. Seriously, what is up with yin-yangs right now? They're everywhere. T-shirts and necklaces and stickers and patches. Did I miss a memo? Well, I think I made my point regarding balance. Here's how it applies to tonight's rule. If at any point in your journey, you come across a titillating billboard that makes you think impure thoughts, then you must immediately do something to bring about 
balance. Find a religious station on your radio, one with an old-timey preacher or some worship music or gospel, and crank that mess up. You must turn the volume up as loud as it will go and listen to the end of the song or sermon or whatever. Likewise, if you come across a billboard that is sending out a religious message, then you must find some of the devil's music. Something hard and loud and nasty. Or find some filthy hip-hop and crank that up. You must do these things to bring about balance in your own personal universe. Now the deaf man reached up and tapped at us and pointed at the radio and pointed at his ears. Is he hearing this? Is he celebrating because he can hear? I told you he was faking. Shh, let's listen. Now I know what you're gonna say. You're gonna say, Buck. I'm very sensitive to loud noises and I've had tinnitus ever since I stood too close to the band at a sock hop and I don't want to make the problem worse. I've only ever wanted to know complete silence since that moment. And some nights it's so bad that I just sit there and listen to the ringing like it's a transmission from hell or demons from outer space. Like heck am I gonna crank up my radio to bring about balance to the universe and make my problem worse? And to that I say, fair enough. You can ignore these rules at your own peril. For if you do pass a billboard and don't bring about the requisite balance, then something will bring it to you. She's blind and carries a big sword, and she's all about the balance. She might start with a cut here or a cut there, and then see that the symmetry is all out of whack and have to cut on the other side and so on and till she's pleased. Well, that's all I got for tonight. Hope y'all are doing fine out there and staying out of trouble. Or at the very least, not getting caught. I hope that y'all remember to take care of that little surprise in your trunk. You know the one. Stay safe. Stay free. Stay lively. Stay lonely. I'm Buck Hensley, and these are the rules of the road. Allow me to take a quick break for the sponsors. Then we're going to get right back to it. The radio shut off and went silent. Now Rick and I were both quiet while in the back seat the deaf man just laughed and laughed. And he banged on the top of the ceiling and rolled around just, just happy man and pulled at his ears. The universe. Rick said holding up a finger. That's what that was. She's trying to tell us something. We better change our plans. You can just tell by the look in his face he was deep in thought. His big plan had been to arrive just outside of Ithaca with the deaf man, remove the license plate, registration, and all the paper from the vehicle, and hand the keys over to the to the to our new friend, man. And Rick had stripped the van from the car months ago, and it would be a gift, and he could take the car to wherever he wanted to. And the car would be his problem now. And good luck getting him to tell anybody what we look like. Yeah, at least for until they, I guess, by the time he figured out what was going on, 
we be long gone. Make our way back to Lord with the cash, bus ticket, or you know, hitchhiking or whatever. And you know, however we gotta do it, it wasn't the best plan, but it was something, you know, but but now what? Before we could even come to that conclusion, the deaf man started screaming and tapping, you know, our shoulders like crazy, man, and trying to adjust us to the side of us to the road, man, and up ahead among the trees was a billboard lit by like a little row light uh, a little row of lights at the bottom and it read Kuma Charmers nightclub gateway to exotic bodies in motion finger lakes finest the words were accompanied by like silhouettes of naked and half dressed women hey a dirty billboard just like the radio program said but how did Rick trailed off and looked towards the back seat I told you he faking, man. He heard that thing say, and how else could he have known, man? I turned to the deaf man and gestured to the radio, telling him that we should um, follow the rules. We know you can hear us, man. You just probably can't talk. What's your deal, so What you acting like? What's going on, man? But he only started to grunt and sign and point at the radio. Fake or not, we should follow the rule. Rick said and started fiddling with the knobs. He stumbled upon the voice of an old preacher, telling us how our treasure was not here on earth, but up in heaven. And he turned up the volume, and it was as loud as the angels from heaven blasting their mighty horns, man. And so I sayeth to you, look not for the rewards of the flesh and of sin, but live humbly, and ye shall have the true reward. Worshipping forever at the feet of the Almighty in heaven, where you shall want nor need no more. The radio preacher rambled on, and but my ears were hurting. That preacher was bringing it, though, man. And it's loud, man. Come on, Rick. This, this is stupid, man. Turn it down some. And I reached for the knob. And he yelled and popped my hand back. Hard too, man. No. We follow the rule. So I plugged my fingertips in my ears, man. And the fake and deaf man sat in the um, back seat. You know, and the radio ain't messed with him. And that preacher was going on and on, bringing it, man. This is going to be a long one, boy. Why, oh, why couldn't we have landed on a short gospel song or something? I couldn't take it anymore. Look, let's just turn it down just a little bit, Rick. It's killing me, man. You know, I said once again, moving to turn the radio down. This time, I swatted his hand back and fought against him as he drove the car through the night. What are you doing? We need this. He said and shoved against me. The car swerved, but he still kept one hand on the wheel and the other one fighting me. And headlights on the oncoming lane flashed at us. We swerved back, grinding into the shoulder and back on the road. And still, we fighting and struggling, man, and the radio blaring, hellfire, brimstone, the zigzag and car, the deaf man hollering, and we don't know if he hollering in fear or excitement or whatever. It's just pure chaos going off in that dang car, man. And then in the rearview mirror and, and filling the car, 
uh, lights appeared. And it was those lights I hated my whole life, man. The spinning red and blue ones that filled me with... Look, you know, I'm... I'm <laughs> it's some, uh, it's some, some other uh, guys who I'm scared of. But I ain't scared of no guys like I'm scared of them guys with them dang red and blue lights, y'all. I'm telling you that right now, boy. Look what you did. Me? Boy, you the ones driving? Now, he stared in the rearview mirror at the top of the car behind us, maintaining his speed and whispering like, I guess, little, little words, little choice words to himself, man. I'm going to pull over, man. Come on, man. He ain't got no probable cause to uh, search the trunk. And I could talk us up out of this, man. You know I'm the smoothest talker of them all, man. And we could tell him my buddy in the back seat just got a little excited or something, scared us or something. You just kind of swerved a little bit. Now, while he was distracted, I thought it would be a good time to shut off, you know, that dang, um, all that loud preaching, man. Big wall of noise, man. Now, out of the corner of his eye, Rick sank me, and he jerked the wheel suddenly to the right, and my body slammed into the door and the window, and the car lost control. And I remember everything happening so fast, but still the little details, man. The vehicle headlights cutting through the darkness, the grass and dirt, debris, you know, and all that stuff moving in the beams of the light. You know, as we went off the road, man, and the scraping of branches on the metal of the vehicle, and the final tree we slammed into, the glass breaking. I just remember the preacher on the radio saying, Let us pray. We never even seen the kid. Like, he must have been about 10 years old, skinny and, and you know, one of them innocent faces, man. Of course, all kids' face looked that way when, when they were sleeping. And that's what he looked like, like asleep. Like, if he could just wake up at any moment, man, but he wouldn't. And the handoff was always a tense situation because in the back of our mind, anything could happen. But the deal, it went smoothly and nobody had tried to mess anybody over. And we were feeling that relief you feel in situations like those. The coming down of adrenaline, the gratitude that we were still alive and that nobody else was dead. Now, as usual, Rick was driving. He never let me drive old Bonnie and said I wouldn't know how to treat her right, man. And one of these days, I was going to get my license reinstated and get a car of my own, man. Now, we were talking and laughing and, and probably going a little too fast through this area on the bad side of town. And there was this abandoned-looking factory and boarded-up buildings and houses and empty, broken parking lots and other assorted urban ruin, man. And I was hungry all of a sudden and I started digging in the back seat through our stash of corner store snacks, man. Honey buns and, and super donuts and and um, Swiss roll cakes, Swiss cake rolls and little dip them. You know what I'm talking about, man. And, um, and zebra cakes and uh, cosmic brownies, man. You know, we had all the we had all the usual house, man. And Rick was turning back to ask me to, to get him one, and then there was a loud thump. Oh, no, 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 no. He said and paced around, and we had gotten out of the car to inspect the damage. 
and the kid was laying on his back and there was blood pooling behind his head on the concrete and in his hair and the impact had knocked his um his name Bill's toboggan off, man. And one of his legs was really crooked and a shard of dang bone sticking up in his jeans, man. And his jeans looked wet and he wasn't moving. And I'm like, what do we do, man? Call, like, call for help or something, man. And Rick ignored me and he went to the car and popped the trunk. Rick, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? And I knelt down beside the kid and I could feel a pulse and I looked around and there wasn't nobody in sight. This area was like a ghost town, man. And Rick knelt beside me and slid his hands up under the boy and he said, don't move him, you know. And I said, don't move his neck, you know, you. And I'm just stuttering, man. Don't, 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 don't. You, you. And Rick. He is light as a feather. I heard him mumble that to himself as he stood up, holding the limp kid in his arms. His matted hair just bloody, man, hung from the back of his head and dripped little drops on the pavement. And he carried him to the back of the trunk. And I heard the lid of the trunk slam, and it it just sounded like like a period, man, like the end of, of, a, of a book, man. A period at the last sentence of the end of this little kid life, man. And it doubled, ooh, and it, I, I doubled over in pain, man. And in my gut, man, I, I started crying, man. And right there in the middle of the street. And Rick guided me back to the car and off we drove, man. Me a crumpled little mess in the passenger seat. And him gripping the steering wheel and staring straight ahead, just determined to make it like this had never happened. And I know that it's manipulative to keep the part from me about the kid until the end. And I, you know, and I think I wanted to have your sympathy from the get-go. And maybe I was afraid that you wouldn't, you know, read this if you knew that I was like partially responsible for the death of a child and for the cover-up of the accidental death. And I needed to tell my story though. I needed somebody to listen to me. Now I didn't got my GED since I've been in here. And they got other little classes you can take too. And I took a writing one and I've been working on this letter for a long time. And a deaf guy, you know, we found out later his name was Felix. And we pen pals now. And I guess that's the best way to communicate with a deaf person, huh? <laughs> you know, to write. And I really do uh, believe that, that he is deaf and not faking it. And Felix tell me that, uh, that he did hear the radio that night. It was the first and last thing that he had ever heard. And he's been so moved by the miracle of sound that over the years he looked into where it came from and see if there were other people, or others, I mean. And he said, he found your website and asked me to write about my experience so that you could, so uh, it could pass along to you. And I, I, I guess that's where we at now. My bro ain't survived a wreck and the steering column crushed into his chest, man. That's the bad thing about them old cars. They don't have the crumple zones like the new cars have. When the mugs get towed up, the mugs just tow up, man. And they tear you up. Suffer some internal bleeding and shock, man. And uh, from what I heard, at least. And I don't remember anything from the wreck until sometime after when the, when, um, when the dang police came. 
and spoke with me at the hospital and handcuffed me to the bed. And after years of thinking on it, I believe there may have been something about that broadcast, that it was true and that my brother was right that tried to follow the rules. I mean, the broadcast and the power to continue to play despite us turning the radio off, and, had to, and even a deaf man could hear it. But what I don't know is whether or not we successfully followed the rule. Was the radio still playing when the car was wrecked? Or did the car die and cut off the final words of the preacher? And Buck says that those who didn't follow the rules would be hunted down by a blind lady with a long sword and that she would cut until things were equal. And when I went to trial, there was an emblem of her holding a scale. She wore a blindfold and carried a big sword, Lady Justice. I could see the vision in my head, my dead brother on one side of the scale, that little unlucky kid on the other side. My freedom from the past 24 years on the side with my brother to help even out the disparity in the weight. And there you had it. Justice. <laughs> you know, uh, I've learned to go beyond the story. I've learned to go beyond what I've read or what's there for me to read. I learned to read in between the lines and go deeper to find the true meaning of what it is. Find the lesson in the words so I can get my blessing. I also learned that that some of us get killed by the lesson. But he showed me mercy. For some reason, he spared me. But he let my brother go. <laughs>